0: You're listening to the Replatform Podcast, sponsored by Ampliance, an API-first, headless CMS and DAM in one, and Klaviyo, an email and SMS marketing automation platform. Today, we're going to take you on a magical e-commerce journey, and it's just myself. Um, my co-host, Paul Rogers, is unavailable today. So hello to our regular listeners, we do appreciate you tuning back in and a warm welcome if you join us for the first time. Really hope you enjoy today's episode. Do subscribe to get episode alerts and like us uh, on YouTube, Spotify or Apple please to make us feel happy about ourselves. So today's topic is around selling fragrance online, uh, covering things like live shopping, subscriptions and optimization technology. So let's do a warm welcome to our guest. So let's start with uh, Julian, who's a COO and fragrance shop. How are you, Julian?
1: Hi James, I'm very well, thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us. So um, do you want to do your, the elevator pitch, let people know, you know who you are, what, what your role covers, and also what is the Fragrance Shop's mission? Like, Who, who do you sell to and what do you sell?
1: Yeah, I'm Julian Holt, I'm the Chief Operating Officer. Uh, the Fragrance Shop is the UK's largest independent fragrance retailer. Uh, we've been operating in this space now since 2008. Uh, we're a strong multi-channel business with 215 stores and a very strong growing e-commerce platform.
0: Amazing, thanks. And also joining us to, today is Vikram, who is the founder and CEO of Better Commerce. Hi, Vikram, how are you? Hi, James. Doing well, thank you. Um, so we uh, useful to hear from for you. Some people have heard of Better Commerce, others won't. What, what is Better Commerce? Where does it sit in the market? And also then, uh, I guess for both of you, what is the relationship between the two businesses?
2: Yeah, so... James, we are basically, Better Commerce is a headless commerce platform that gives you a lot of capability in terms of composable capability also. And uh, we target primarily mid-market to large enterprise businesses for retail offerings and online businesses. And we've been operational for the last four, five, five years. And uh, with Fragrance Shop, they've been our marquee customer right from the beginning. And they, they, the relationship that we share is they are our biggest customers now. Fantastic. Right. Gents, are you ready for some questions?
0: Yes, fire ahead. Excellent. So, Julian, I'll start with you. We always like to warm up with technology stacks so people can understand a bit more about the business. What, what does the core tech stack look like for e-commerce? You're on Better Commerce. Um, is that doing most things or do you have a wide range of, of technology around the core commerce platform?
1: Uh, well, our e-commerce stack is uh, consists of different components. I suppose at the heart of it is the Better Commerce headless platform, uh, which we've integrated through to our POS ERP and warehousing system. Although the front end, though that's managed by our internal team, and we control the full CI/CD pipeline. For real-time analytics, we rely on Better Commerce analytics module, and that's in addition to Google Analytics. We find that GA struggles to provide consistent and timely data during our seasonal peaks, Black like Friday and the final weeks leading up to Christmas. Fragrance selling in the UK is highly seasonal. And with GA, unless you pay an eye-watering price, you really start to lose that consistency at peak time because our business needs that session data to be on the t- on time every hour, on the hour. And the Better Commerce Analytics module provides that to us. We also use the Better Commerce customer data platform. So we want to make sure that all the touch points of our customer, those people at that touch point have as much information as they can about the customer. We call it the Customer 360, and the customer data platform within Better BetterCommerce empowers that. Separately to that, our email, marketing, and on-site personalization, we use Exponia. And then we've got quite a few sort of third-party tools like Optimizely for A-B testing, and Hero for sales, chat, and video. Overall, I suppose the stack has been pretty consistent for the last few years. Uh, but most importantly, it's helped us grow during these very busy COVID times, which has shown
0: uh, which has which has allowed the fragrance shop to grow during that period. So that's interesting. So you've got development in-house. Do you have the full engineering function then? Yes,
1: we do. So that's across sort of front-end and back-end developers. We already have a development team. We at the Fragrant Shop value doing most of the integrations between third-party systems by ourselves. So we have full-stack developers that may or may not be involved in the e-commerce side, but are also involved in other aspects of our business. We also have um, a product manager, a couple of UX, and a delivery manager.
0: Fantastic. Um, I, I find that interesting because it's one of the most competitive recruitment areas um, for a lot of oh, people's at the moment. Absolutely.
1: And, and it's a real struggle. Um, you know, you've, you've, you've got to find solutions to these. Uh, Manchester itself is a... You know, it's a hot area for development of, of uh, for developers. So we do need to sort of broaden our strategy a little bit around that. We've been doing that. So we do get obviously development resources from uh, better commerce and we can have fixed price projects and time and materials. We're looking at uh, offshore development teams. In fact, before the call today, we've been using some UX designers from a company called Fraysoft who are based in Ukraine um i've had a call back from from oleg there saying he's okay but it just demonstrates doesn't it that mm. you know even things that are close to us in manchester when you start outsourcing you know you, you suddenly come across the difficulties in maintaining a relationship but we hadn't planned that they might go to war yeah
0: well i genuinely hope that 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 they will all be okay and their families it's yeah uh, it's uh, it's not a nice time for that um So uh, Vikram, just a question around the platform. So you you position yourself as a headless platform. Uh, I'd love to drill into that a bit more because headless seems to mean different things to different vendors in terms of technology. So what, what is the headless stack? Are you microservices? Are you... API? Are you packaged business capabilities? Are you everything? Like, how
2: you know? How do you explain what headless really means from platform point of view? Yeah, so James, it's very interesting that you ask because everybody I speak to has got a different view of headless, and they all look at it from a different perspective. The way we look at it, you know, from ours end, uh, that the idea is to give customer the power and flexibility of managing their head, which is the customer facing endpoint. So we built everything around the API-first approach, so the customer can control all their endpoints. So, for example, you know, Fragrance Shop has built their own Customer 360 views for their stores, for their mobile, and for their online website as well. And they've built so much on top of our platform. So we expose everything, you know, from customer data platform to the everything around through the APIs. So it's a hundred percent API-first approach where you can essentially do anything on top of it. And the idea is. Head is basically your UI, your presentation. And the platform does all the complicated jobs, all the server-side maintenance, patching, all of that, all the complicated logic, it's all maintained there. And then you just focus on the customer endpoints.
0: Excellent. Thanks for that clarification. Because yeah, there's a lot of terminology in our industry, and some people listening will understand this, and others will be thinking, what, what does this really mean? Um, yeah. So let's talk about some of the functional areas. One area that I'm really interested in chatting about today is live shopping. It's been huge in China, especially um, through influencer marketing for a long time. West has been a bit slower to pick up, but the beauty area definitely seems in US and Europe to, to have embraced it quicker than other areas. And I, I can see twenty twenty two being the year when more retailers go for MS has started, for example. So, Julia, I'd love to know uh, what was, how did you, um, how do you use live shopping? Do you do it to to just to have general events for every customer, or do you, are you targeting specific customers with live shopping well, service? Uh, well, well, it's a
1: new part of the sort of service offering from the fragrance shop. We use live shopping to provide customers with an interactive and personalised shopping experience. And that personalization is the key to this. And more importantly, wherever they may be. So we want to educate customers on different brands, different fragrance brands, and create immersive set designs to entertain them. So it's not just about the products and what we're doing, it's the whole entertainment experience. We create content that lives on our website forever and can be repurposed to use across different channels in the future. So we can see there that the outcome of the of the live channel event isn't just that situation itself, but there's other add-ons and we can start to utilize for the video recordings of those events. We're also looking at introducing video snippets from from TFS Live into our Fragrance Expert video chat system, which is powered by Hero, so that browsing customers have the option of viewing specific parts of the recorded TFS Live show that's relevant to their browsing. Generally, the typical uh, TFS Live customer does tend to be slightly younger, they do seem more able to quickly adapt to this new way of shopping. However, we are still learning from the t- who the TFS Live customer really is, and we are anticipating it will change as Live Shopping becomes more common.
0: Yeah, fantastic, thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point about the the, the events um, and the post-event, because physical events are used to doing post-event marketing. But I've seen a few implementations of Live Shopping where it is, it's live and it's gone, and it's very transient versus it's a perpetual thing on the site, and it keeps linking back to the products that are available. Yes. Uh, um, and let's talk about the tech, and I guess this is a question for both of you, because I'd love to understand what role the platform has and what you've, because you've got your own engineering teams, what you've built on top and what you've used for the, for the live streaming. Could you, you both talk us through, how how does it work on Better Commerce, the live shopping piece? Well, well, well
1: for my side, uh, the e-commerce platform is integrated with a third-party streaming service called Bambooza. And that facilitates the live streams onto our website. But this connects directly with a dedicated set of mobile devices running the Bambooza app. That's at the production side. It's all very easy. Sometimes we use external cameras, which require us to use an alternative streaming provider, OBS, to feed the stream back into Bambooza and then onto our website. Other than this, it's very little sophisticated technology is required. Uh, for production, we often go live with just a tripod, an iPhone, and some microphones. If you think about what we've learned so far, we've only been running this for six months. One of our key learnings from carrying out the live event so far is that compromising and investing in the right technology is not an option and results in a low-quality product. For example, just employing the right sort of microphones to ensure the sound quality is amazing or ensuring you've got a strong Wi-Fi connection. These things will impact the visual and sound quality of the system. And I think for me, the other one on the business side is the other key learning is not to make it too complicated you can go live from anywhere very easily with minimum amounts of production as long as a set design is engaging the host is knowledgeable
0: then the show will perform well yeah that uh, the the hardware point is a really good one we've we've gone through a painful learning curve on our podcast with some early episodes where i listen back and think oof, and yeah you you can't do anything about short-term outages for wi-fi that's but you're right. You can at least invest in good infrastructure for it. Um, yeah, good advice. And Vikram, from your point of view, were were any changes needed at a platform level with the APIs to enable this, or is it just simply using existing APIs to,
2: to push data into third parties? It was straightforward. In fact, to be honest, James, you know, I found out after it had already been live for a month. Didn't <laughs> it was even that straightforward. That. Is this when you were shopping on the live stream? I was talking to Julian and he said, have you seen our live shopping? I said, what is that? He said, go to the website and see. And that's when i it's been live for four weeks. I said, what? I didn't even know about it. Yeah. So that's how simple and easy it's become.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's simply just using existing APIs to get the product data out into the third party then. Correct. Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. And uh, Julian, you seem to get, because I, I, I looked in, I played a couple back um, retrospectively, and what I liked about it is that it, it live it shows the stream of the chat that was happening at the time of the event based on where yeah. you are in the thing, and yeah. you seem to get good chat engagement. Are you able to share any info about like audience sizes and 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 you know what what seems to get them involved and, and chatting? Well, I think I
1: think the first thing is, for, is trying to bring on board the sort of right sort of audience. So you know we spend quite a bit of time promoting across all our digital channels, sneak peeks and teasers follow-up reminders, just to make sure we're acquiring the right sort of people that we think could get value from this. Uh, We've created a dedicated live-selling landing page with all our upcoming videos, so people might hear about it, go and check out what it might look like first, and then turn up for the real show. And then to support the fact that they do turn up, we've got an adding calendar function on our live-selling landing page for upcoming shows, just to remind people. We changed the site strip about 30 minutes uh, before the show to drive customers there, standard customers on our website and then there's a floating cta appears on the home page when we're alive that shows a minimized version of the show to entice customers so it's difficult to say at this stage i suppose is there any particular type of customer Uh, but what we do do is use a lot of digital marketing which probably pulls into that the right sort of customer that, that enjoys engaging
0: in chat and feels part of the live show experience and were there any challenges with the, the commerce journey? Because I've, I've seen a couple of tools where the streaming is very, very good, but the then the commerce journey becomes clunky, the ability to very quickly add it to a basket and check out within yeah, that's the, the all, same that's, tab. That,
1: this was the reason why then I started to get engaged actually with better commerce again, because we can see that we've got you know, it's past a proof of concept. It's, it's a viable product and it's going to work. Yeah. But now we need to really start to hone that customer experience. We need to get that uh, add-to-bag functionality as seamless, a seamless journey within the TFS Live show. And you're right to point that out. Uh, and that's what we're working on. Uh,
0: yeah, interesting, because I've got a couple of uh, clients who are in the same position. They're trying to work out whether they just MVP it for proof of concept or they try and fix that challenge first and i think getting something live is is one of the most important things because you learn from it yes and we are learning every day we were running these sessions
1: i think once a week we're and i think we're going to be moving to once a day very soon so so we do see this as a a really important way of talking to our customers yeah
0: yeah, um, uh, yeah, I agree, and I think a lot of people are feeling feeling um, uh, the same things. And it's interesting to see big brands like M&S now pushing ahead with their own live shopping services. Yeah, we also have. Sorry, James, we also have our fragrance
1: experts. So you know, as a multi-channel business, mm-hmm. um, one of the things we really want to do is make sure that the customer experience in all the channels is as good as it can be and, and is similar. And we've got a wealth of experience in our stores. So the Fragrance Expert Service, which is a chat video service, again, on the website, uh, brings that in-store expertise to the online customer, allowing them to ask questions. Um, um, An in-store team colleague then can pick up that chat, start responding to them, uh, maybe show some video shots that show off the the, the brands and and the displays in the store, and then start to prompt them back with, Uh, product cards that start to meet the needs and the requirements for their chat. So we're seeing all of these ways in which we can uh, pull that together using the technology of the e-commerce
0: platform. And do you see the the video chats where it's direct with the in-store staff? Does that drive a lot of people back in store? Is it primarily about trying to help them convert while they're within a web session?
1: Well, there's a number of things there. I mean, Fundamentally, the store staff are, are, are very passionate and, uh, and have that expertise. And, and of course, they, they want to drive that customer into store. But the, And we do have a system where the, when the chat is offered out to the, the agents are available, we do use some location services to try and tie together the customer on the chat to their closest store. Uh, but we've got 215 stores around the UK And it's quite difficult sometimes to make that relevant to the customer. We do want to drive people in store because we do think that there's always going to be a place of fragrance selling in store. It's in store that the store colleagues can bring the story of the brands alive, can display, show and tell the products, can get over the aesthetics. And of course, most importantly, that's where you smell the product. So driving our, using our e-commerce platform to drive customers into store is a key part of our strategy.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, No matter how, how experiential e-commerce can get, you can't smell the fragrance online. Uh, I'd be intrigued if anyone can fix that. <laughs> well, I hope we don't. <laughs> what is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule, and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at ampliance.com. Amplience experience freedom. The the other um, part I want to talk about is delivery subscriptions. I know you've got this has been tried by lots of brands, and Amazon were the, the ones who basically introduced the concept to the market. Um, and you position it slightly differently as membership rather than subscription. Love to know why that approach and you know, what impact does membership have on your your kind of retention.
1: It's, it's a massive change to our business. It's transformational. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it, it really is end-to-end. Um, you know, the fragrance shop's always put its customer first. Our strategy revolves around being first for fragrance, and a key part of that is being first for the customer. But ultimately, many of our fragrances can be bought on the high street via other retailers, and we need a point of difference. To others, that's around the customer experience, obviously underpinned by relevant and engaging services. The Fragrant Shop membership service isn't a delivery subscription. Um, the membership gets exclusive discounts, offers and perks, in addition to those of unlimited express deliveries. So really, it's about offering a wealth of different activities mm-hmm. and products to that member. You know, we operate in a competitive marketplace. And a number of years ago, we introduced an industry first, a 20% off fragrance flash sales. These would operate for a fixed time of day or around seasonal peaks or around month ends. But we wanted to change this. We stopped all of our 20% flash sales in store and online and replaced it with a membership service. If you want 20% off, just become a member. And the basic tier of My TFS gives you three opportunities during the year to buy anything with a 20% discount, when you want it, not just when we want to run our 20% flash sale. So the key here is now to the customer when they use this discount and not just when we run our flash sales. It's early days for us, but we launched this just over a year ago and we've got 250,000 subscribed members. And we're only just starting to annualize. Our target this year is to, com- is to maintain 75% of those subscribers yeah. as we're bringing on new subscribers into the membership scheme. We'll continue to learn and optimize, but in terms of the offer, uh, well, we'll we'll continue to
0: learn and optimize uh, both the offer, the engagement, and the technologies. Yeah, it's interesting. The the productization of it is is what, I guess this is what Amazon has has taught a lot of people. It's not just about delivery. It's about how you create additional value so that retention rates stay high, and a lot of people just see delivery subscription as pay, pay money, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But we want to provide something much broader, much wider yeah. than that. Yeah, I see a parallel in the way that a brand like JD Williams has approached its VIP program, where it really does bundle in lots of uh, like incremental benefits that you get above and beyond being a standard member. Um, yes. I think it is, yeah, value means different things to different people. Um, and in terms of in terms of setting that up, do you, is it just simply a skew? So you pay for a SKU on the website and you've got your membership. How, how does it work technically behind the scenes yeah, to get somebody I mean, to buy it? It, it?
1: Yeah, in principle it is, but uh, remember we're a multi-channel business, so we're selling this service both in-store and online. Uh, so we need to find mechanisms that are consistent across both those two channels. And it is a SKU. We have three SKUs, three different tiers for the membership. And then we have business logic in our back end that carries out the membership enrollment service based on the sale of that SKU. And
0: you also, if I've answered correctly, with a um, service like Scent Addict, you have product subscription as well.
1: Yeah, that's a completely different thing. Um, I mean, Scent Addict is a service yeah, um, yeah. that provides a you know, way to try different fragrances each month. So we've got nearly 9,000 subscribers at the moment who pay £12 per month, and they get the fragrance of their choice uh, to use in, a, in an atomizer. So on their first delivery, they get an atomizer. And then on subsequent deliveries, they get their choice of fragrance in a vial that they can mix and match and interchange into that atomizer. That atomizer is a small device. It can go in your pocket. and can go into your purse. It's very convenient to use. But the key part of this is when you get that uh, monthly delivery, you get a £12 voucher to redeem against that fragrance's full-size bottle. So in a way, it's also very cost-effective. You know, some customers use this to experiment to discover new fragrances without a full-size bottle cost. Others decide to stick to a subset of fragrances that are spreading the cost of the fragrance. Some customers like the simplicity of subscribing into a curated list of fragrances that fall into a scent theme. They want to explore citrus or floral or into a lifestyle a lifestyle theme such as trending, date night or office wear. Towards we want to make it simple and convenient for the customer to try fragrances at a low cost. Uh, but it's also allowing us to better understand the customer. You know, what choices are they making? Do they go on to buy the full-size bottle?
0: It yeah. helps us to provide a more personalised and relevant service. Yeah, and I guess it's a really nice way of, of getting attribute-level interest data as well at scale of, of which ones are more popular at trading people up into purchasing the bigger bottles from the, the small samples. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, nice. Uh, I really like that approach as well of, of allowing people to try. It reminds me of going to, to my favorite pubs where they allow you to try paddles of beers and yes. you have like four mini beers instead yes. of buying a pint of something you've never heard of before and then getting to your table and going, oh, that is dishwater. It's horrible. It's a really nice way of allowing you to experiment.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you know, a full size bottle of fragrance on a luxury brand could be 125 pounds. Yeah. Well, you know, you for 12 pounds, you can have uh, eight milliliters of that, which will last about a month. Uh, And you can use it in different circumstances, office, you know, into the gym, and then you can commit to that fragrance
0: when you made when you know you've made the right decision. Yeah, I think anything. I mean, everyone talks about reducing friction, but that's another good example of one of the frictions is the fear of getting it wrong or or buyer's remorse, isn't it? And if you minimise that risk, it helps people commit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. and And how does it work,
2: Mr. Sorry, sorry, James. Just to add, you know, both these capabilities, you know, we've built within the platform itself. So, and they're all very well utilized. So the way we've done it is again, like I said, the whole API oriented approach. So their store system then makes calls to our APIs to get the membership data or the subscription and make these orders from there itself to directly to our API itself. That's how that works.
0: Okay, cool. And I'm assuming then subscription payments are just
2: a, a standard payment type that, that's enabled within the platform. So we've implemented tokenization, and depending upon you know which payment gateway we're using, so you have tokens against, and then those tokens yep. are charged on a regular basis. As as it goes along.
0: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, so so retained and recurring revenue is is a Correct. wonderful thing to be able to see scaling. Um, Absolutely. There's another service you you have on the site, Julian. Um, Fragrance Match. Yeah, um, it'd be great to talk people through what it is and, and you know what what impact that's having. You know, do you see a different type of customer using that versus something like Scent Addict? Yeah, well,
1: they are all intermixed. We've got membership, Scent Addict, Fragrance Match, and they are part of you know unique services that we provide. So our customers have done over 160,000 fragrance matches in the past 10 months. Um, there are many different types of recommender models for recommendation systems, but, but we see most of them are quite mechanical in their nature, you know, item-to-item co-occurrence, custom-to-item co-occurrence. You know, the fragrance shop, we're industry experts in fragrances, and we've collected hundreds of data points for each fragrance. And here I'm talking about the ingredients, the accords, the components that make up a scent. So what is it that makes that smell the smell? We then use machine learning to figure out product similarities, including the appropriate weighting for each scent attribute. This allows us to make accurate recommendations based on the scent of the product, the smell irrespective of the price point or the fragrance brand, or more importantly, perceived audience of the fragrance brand house. That's unique to us. So... We then want to incentivize customers, then go on to 215 stores to try those recommendations. In fact, the online customer journey changes when a fragrance match is done in store or a customer receives a previous fragrance match while in store. The customer then can taste test each fragrance and rate it. So they go into the store, they have their four recommendations, they engage with the store colleague, they go through a testing process. And what I really want them to do at that point is bring up the mobile phone and rate each each of those fragrances. Now, the data we're collecting there is like gold dust in three ways. We can push back into the machine learning engine, the customer ratings to improve the algorithm. We can understand the customer better to empower us to provide a more personalized service. And then we can provide feedback to the fragrance brand, brand houses to demonstrate your real customer ratings against their fragrances. So it ticks all of those boxes. And where you talk about membership earlier and scent Addict and fragrance match, that's really empowering us to understand our customer better.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a really smart way of using that And how does that work technically on the platform? Is that something you've built custom on top of Better Commerce, or is that using uh, Victor is that using the Better Commerce functionality? How does it work? This was a
1: combination of things, really. Um, you know, we had the business idea initiative behind that, and then we engaged with Better Commerce to support us to achieve it. You know, they they provided service to us, not just the specific e-commerce platform, which the Fragrance Match uses, but they also helped us to develop the pipeline of data and the data transformation. And they also worked with us, uh, with the Microsoft Azure machine learning system, to optimize that, feed the data in, and then make it available via its recommender model process to the e-commerce platform. So that was quite a collaborative process between ourselves and Better Commerce.
0: Fantastic. Um, I also want to talk a a bit about payments, because Buy Now, Pay Later has become hugely, hugely popular. There are so many different um, providers out there. Klarna's the most well-known, and it's got a pretty vibrant... A marketplace is driving people direct to retailer stores, but I know that you've got three different choices. So I'd love to know because some people I've looked at have been worried they're confused customers. Like, what was the reason for going down that route of different choices? And do you see distinct audiences then per provider? Well, this is all new to us at the same time. So we, need,
1: we don't see distinct audiences for each buy now, pay later provider. What we want to do is offer the choice to the customer for all new payment technologies, and they're all quickly evolving. New value-added services, different payment stages, and different sign-up criteria are offered by those buy-now, pay-later providers. We currently use ClearPay, LayBuy, Klarna, and we've recently launched Zip. So, James, we've now got four of those available on our e-commerce platform. But to me, the choice provides a friction-free checkout process. Because if a customer always had a relationship with one of those four providers, then it creates a frictionless checkout process that we provide that during our checkout because there is always that that complication of onboarding a customer within that buy now, pay later service. So if we've got the service they already use, it's simpler for them to use our checkout.
0: Yeah, that, that that makes sense. How do you do? You ever get any pushback from from new customers who don't use any buy now pay later, and they're not sure which one they should, or do you just no. know it's not an issue?
1: Yeah, no, no, that that's not an issue. What what we do see is we're seeing, you know, payment tech is changing pretty quickly. We moved to Adyen um, a couple of years ago, which proved very successful for us, but we are seeing quite a reduction in card payments now. To me, buy now, pay later is just another mechanism of a credit, credit type payment.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we just want to make sure we're giving the customer the choice. I think customers nowadays, if they're not sure about that or it's confusing for them, they'll stick with the traditional payment methods: PayPal, uh, Visa, Mastercard, etc. Uh, but those that you know want to, um, you know, use these new facilities, then we want to offer them to them. It might be over the next 12 to 18 months that. A few of those get more traction than others. It might be that uh, there's a shift or change. You, you mentioned Klarna; that, that's the you know largest provider, well-known provider. Uh, but Clearpay, you know, is making big inroads in this, and they are yeah.
0: wanting to really bring on people into their services. Yes, choice choice is king for customers. And, and Vikram, from the platform perspective, were any challenges um, that you found Better Commerce? enabling um, buy now, pay later, uh, payment methods for for customers. Mm. Have you relied purely on the payment gateways to to turn those on?
2: No, it's been fairly straightforward, actually. They they provide you very standard, simple tech spec to implement, and it's been fairly straightforward. There hasn't been any challenge as such at all. And we've now integrated, we've got these four already running on TFS. Our other customers also tend to use some of these. And it's been absolutely smooth. I don't see any challenges from a technical standpoint.
0: And are these, are these where the platform has got an integration with them or because some, some clients I work with, they'll use something like um, uh, a, a Stripe or an Adyen and actually they'll just turn it on through the gateway, which has got some pros and cons, but you've
2: actually built the capability into the platform. Right? Yes, so we've got all of these integrated within the platform now.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um. And then I guess the final topic I wanted to cover um, for, for both of you is conversion rate optimization. Because as you say, jillian you're a leading um, fragrance uh, brand. So you've got large revenue, large customer base, and a lot of traffic. So mm. how... All good, it's all good, though, isn't it? Well, it is, but that <laughs> raises challenges, right? Because everything you've talked about is about customer experience, better data, smart decision, yeah. making, which yeah. leads to the question around you know test and learn uh, methodology i'd love to hear like how much of how much of the decision making is just done out of the data versus then testing ideas that the data uh, gives you no i, I understand i mean we we're,
1: we're an entrepreneurial driven business and you know we've got some good leadership around ideas and initiatives we want to explore but you're right it all comes down to you know deploying something testing it and see whether or not it it gets traction, does it become sticky, do we adjust, do we test and learn? But to me, conversion rate optimization all starts with the metrics. We use a combination of of GA, and I have mentioned earlier the built-in capability of the Better Commerce Analytics module. So session data is streamed into the platform to provide hourly business reports, sessions, bounce rates, new customers, ATV, add-to-bag percentage, add-to-checkout percentage, checkout channel, you know, on and on and on all the way through to conversion. So we run, uh, we've got a product manager and a, and a product team. We run frequent A/B test experiments that uh, manage, but it's a reasonably small team, uh, but we do use a third party product called Optimize. Opti- I can never pronounce that quite right. <laughs> optimizely
0: that's uh, yeah, that's correct. The, the one that EpiServer acquired, which is uh, now re fully as EpiServer, uh, yes. yeah.
1: That's it, yeah. Yep. So. I mean, to us, it's the important thing there is experiment has a clear objective purpose. Yeah. An example would be to test the benefit of adding TFS membership banner above a specific row on a PLP page. You've got a hypothesis predicting it will increase views. But ultimately, the key success metric metric, metric will be, you know, does the customer then go on to buy membership? Yeah. We run these about once a week in various different areas. And, and I think you introduced it quite well. We're you know a reasonably large business and enterprise Based business, but small changes in conversion optimization, small marginal gains turn out to
0: be big numbers. And uh, interesting, because you've mentioned the 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 better commerce analytics module a few times. So Vikram, I'd love to love to hear because one of yeah, analytics and getting the right data views is always a challenge. And most e-commerce platforms have some basic level reporting, but what what does your analytics module? Um, give people like so. What are the data capabilities? Um, you know how ex- how
2: extensive is it basically? So James, what we do is essentially we capture the complete event stream. You know, just like the GA does. Uh, we do not rely on GA, but we capture all of that event stream, and then that's pushed into our data lake, which we process. And once all of that data is corroborated, then we cap. You know, bring out in terms of reports and analytics dashboard, What we present is essentially product segments, which are your top selling products, top 30% products, top profit margin products, worst performing products, top conversion rating products. So a huge amount of product segments. We've created almost 15, 20 product segments out of the box. We also do customer level segmentation. And then we bring all of that information in a very simple and user-friendly, presentable way, unlike you know several other tools where there's too much data, but you really can't make sense of it. It gets difficult. You need to become a scientist to start making some sense out of it. So we try to bring it and we try to reduce it as much as we offer. We try to reduce it as well. And we keep it very minimal so that you know we present information in a most consumable way. And it gives some inferences from that rather than you thinking, okay, what does this information mean? You know, what exactly does that conversion on this PDB going down? What does that mean? What keywords are not are giving me zero results? You know, we capture all of that and bring that all in a very consolidated way, to help you make those decisions better. And Julian, from the business point of view, how, do
0: you, how does the team decide when to use GA, when to use this analytics module?
1: Well, we, we, we've, we're now relying on the uh, analytics model for the consistency of, I'd say, the clear defined metrics that have been viewed and measured almost every hour. So we needed that reliability of the consistency of that data. As I mentioned earlier, GA, once it starts to get very busy, it starts sampling, we start to get a lag in the data set. So we're a very metrics-driven business, and we will react to the fact that five past one, for example, today, uh, if, if there is a significant shift against the likelihood and prediction of what conversion, sessions, traffic is, then we'll react to it straight away. So the most important part to us was it has to be reliable, accurate, and consistent. Now, when we come to drill down ad hoc analysis, then we do often go to GA. So when we're exploring and looking for different types of insights, we're reviewing uh, larger timescales, we are wanting to explore different testing mechanisms and seeing results of those, then yeah, we'll go to GA for those sort of comparative year-on-year results. But, but fundamentally, the better commerce one is our bread and
0: butter hourly type yeah. metrics. Yeah, yeah, understood. Um, and so that's interesting. You say uh, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, it's hourly, you're, you're checking specific metrics and reacting. No, it's and every hour. It's not, it's not just hourly. It is every hour. Every hour. And are you talking about, Micro conversion or just overall site conversion rate. So, are there specific conversion rates within the site that you focus on? Then to say, well, actually, we need to change our merchandising or our pricing or whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, we've got we've got very
1: specific me- measurements. Um, so, obviously, conversion is there, and that that is quite a broad figure. But then yeah. you've got the add to bag. We have the enter checkout, uh, and then we've got the funnel stats through the checkout and to make sure that uh, the customer journey is working smoothly and as expected. Uh, We can often see then that maybe uh, there's been a third-party issue. Maybe I'm getting some blips with a third-party tool or Adyen payment service. And and identifying these very quickly helps us to react uh, to to manage that that, that problem. Um, We're also looking at... um, Promotions, specific promotions, so we can have tagged a few specific products and create a, a basket of products, and we're looking to see you know, what the activity is. Do we need to consider at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock that the promotional message needs changing? Do we need to change that promotional activity? Now, we normally, we'd normally we only go to that sort of level of detail during CK, uh, key season events, yeah. or when there's big spend going on at the moment with, for example, pay-per-click where we're having to micromanage those particular details uh, just before Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, et cetera, or double payday weekends, month ends, et cetera. So it it depends, I suppose, a little bit, the base ones every hour, and then more detailed ones depending on the circumstances.
0: Excellent. Thanks for the clarity. Yeah, that's an interesting cadence. I I guess that's the reality when you reach a certain size that you need to move from daily to hourly. Um, because of the the, the the volumes and the impact. Um, excellent. That's the end of my questions, you'll be pleased to hear. Um, so thanks very much to both of you for coming on the podcast. It's uh, It's been a really interesting session for me. Okay, thank, thank you, you, James. Uh, thank you so thanks, much, Vikram. Thanks, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And um, for everyone who's been listening, I hope you've enjoyed it just as much. Keep an ear open for our next episode. We drop them every Tuesday. Uh, Do subscribe if you haven't already and give us a like on YouTube Apple, or Spotify. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers,
2: via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.